Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this Friday's Keep Calm and Cope CoronaCast. Today's co-hosts are Lindsay Griffiths and Marcy Schunk. Katie Barnard can't make it today, but we love all three of my co-hosts, and I'm so happy to have two of you here today. We are talking about something that you know and you feel and you live and you don't like it. Um, it's called cognitive dissonance. Now, you may not know it as cognitive dissonance, um, you, but you certainly have heard of and probably experienced buyer's remorse, right, ladies? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did I really need those shoes? <laughs> you know, um, but that's what cognitive dissonance is. It's an example. Buyer's remorse is just an example. The theory of cognitive dissonance proposes that people are averse to inconsistencies within their own minds. It offers one explanation for why people sometimes make an effort to adjust their thinking when their own thoughts, words, or behaviors seem to clash with each other. So it's when you justify having bought a pair of shoes you don't need, or when you justify smoking when your parents died of lung cancer, or maybe you have lung cancer. It's the, the crazy mind we have that is so powerful. We override common sense or we override intuition or, you know, um, we override logic. So when one learns new information that challenges a deeply held belief, for example, or acts in a way that seems to undercut a favorable self-image, like, for example, I'm overweight, yet I continue to eat Asiago cheese, wheat thins, and Chardonnay every night. That's my coping. That, Which that sounds was, delicious. Yeah. <laughs> if I had your figure, I wouldn't worry about it, Marcy, but I have my new figure and it's quite, quite curvaceous already. So um, that person may feel motivated to somehow resolve the negative feeling. Uh, that's where the justification comes in. Like you, you, you make excuses, if you will, to restore cognitive con con consonants, excuse me, Cognitive consonance is the opposite of cognitive dissonance. So though the person may not always resolve cognitive dissonance, the response to it may range from ignoring the source of it to maybe changing their own beliefs or behaviors to eliminate the conflict. Um, we see a lot of that. You cannot change someone else's vertically structured beliefs. You can certainly change their horizontally structured beliefs. But only a person can change their own vertically structured beliefs. And sometimes cognitive dissonance is at play. Um, what, are, what are vertically structured beliefs? Awesome question. I may have mentioned this before. Maybe you weren't on that podcast. Um, it's, I mean, some of the stuff I talk about is titillating to me, but not necessarily <laughs> to others. But vertically structured beliefs are beliefs that someone has held from a very very young age and they may have been planted in their brains by authority figures so your mom your dad your grandma grandpa priest uh someone you believe is going to tell you the facts the 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 truth so let's say um the very horrible thought that gays are an abomination right that's a vertically structured belief, and, it, and no one else can change that person's mind. That's why a lot of Trumpers, you don't even try to reason with these people because it's like giving medicine to a dead man. You know, so let's think about the gays are an abomination thought. That is a vertically structured belief that maybe came from a misinterpretation of the Bible or 
something a preacher might have said, a grandma, grandpa, mom, or dad might have said at a young age. So you grow up thinking that, you believe that, and then one day, lo and behold, you have children, and one of those children grows up to say, hey, mom, I'm gay, and or dad, I'm gay. And you say, wow, I love you so much today, just like I did yesterday. Nothing has changed. Why have I thought this all the time, all, all these years? And then you embrace your child's um, authentic self and new way of life. So you change your own mind. You change your own vertically structured beliefs. But for all those years before your daughter grew up to say that, you would never have been convinced. No one else could convince you that being gay is perfectly fine and normal and wonderful and just, you know, love is love and you shouldn't judge people um, for their biological, you know, the thing, the people they're attracted to or um, the way they feel fulfilled in life, right? So that's a vertically structured belief. You've changed your own mind. No one else could change your mind. Horizontally structured beliefs are those where evidence is shown and you say, oh, I get it now. The world is not flat. We now know it's round. We've seen pictures. We've been on, you know, the moon and, and seen the earth from afar. So you buy into that. Whereas, for example, a lot of people, and again, I'm going to use Trumpers for an example. They believe a lot of, you know, Christian, um, I, I want to say mythology. I'm just going to say it, folks. I'm going to say it. They believe a lot of Christian mythology, but they don't believe science about climate change. You know, so there you go. That's another example. Does that make it easy to understand vertically versus horizontally structured beliefs? Yes. Yep. Thank you. It, it goes hand in hand with closed-mindedness and open-mindedness, which are different but attached, if you will. Yeah. So what is cognitive dissonance? When someone tells a lie and feels uncomfortable about it because he fundamentally sees himself as an honest person, he may be experiencing cognitive dissonance. That is, there's a mental discord related to a contradiction between one thought, in this case, knowing he did something wrong, and another thought, thinking that he is an honest human being. So what do you think about that? Do you think we all experience it, whether we recognize it as such or not? Yes. Um, and actually, it's interesting because I just finished the book White Fragility. And uh, so I think cognitive oh. is, is a, yeah, is a really great concept to discuss in the current climate that we're in because Robin D'Angelo, who wrote the book, talks a lot about the concept of you know, this dichotomy that we see racism is bad um, and non-racism is good. So you assume that racists are bad. And so if you're the kind of person that thinks, if you're the kind of white person, I should say, that thinks, well, I'm not a racist because I don't want to be a bad person. And so you, you don't look at the, the concept of white supremacy and, and being born into a society that has this white framework that favors white people, you are going to automatically assume that you don't have any racist tendencies. So if you step back from that idea that racism is bad, you will instead welcome the idea that you, you do probably have some racist tendencies and you, you are born into white privilege and welcome that feedback that when you might say or do something that's racist, that you can instead correct that behavior and move forward in a way that's much more um, equal and 
and uh, and helpful to people who of color. Um, so I, I that that really speaks to me from the cognitive dissonance point of view. Um, you know that we we want to feel like well I'm not racist because I'm I'm not a bad person and racists are bad people. And it's, it's like, you know, that to me was a, a real struggle in the beginning. Instead, now it's like, okay, I can have racist tendencies and, and accept myself as a racist because of the society that I was born into, which is founded on white supremacy, and instead be accepting of criticism and accepting of feedback and look critically at my behaviors and my privilege and welcome that and make changes. And instead of that, that bad, good dichotomy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, go ahead, Marcy. Oh, I was going to say, it's so interesting because as I was listening to Susan describe cognitive dis- dissonance, I wrote down white privilege. And <laughs> what I've grown up with is, you know, I grew up in a lower middle class, white, uh, like blue collar neighborhood. And so a lot of white kids who were really bootstrapping it and climbed, some of whom climbed their way out. And I think that for a lot of white people who are in that situation, who are economically disadvantaged and climbing their way out, it is hard to accept the concept of white privilege, right? There's this perception that, well, if I can do it, or if my neighbor can do it, why can't everyone else? Yes, that is, I see it's understandable, but not acceptable because they do not recognize the systemic racism that has just because of skin color, given them a leg up. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Let's go ahead and shift that conversation using the theme of cognitive dissonance to talk about this recent issue. Lindsay, I'm glad you brought up that book. I know you have re- I've read Bias by Jennifer um, Eberhardt. She's at Stanford, but she's a woman of color who, because of her skin, had been arrested when she was young. She tells an amazing story. I'd rather you read the book than listen to it, though. Um, her voice is so soft. You tend to drift off <laughs> when you're <laughs> listening to the book. It's like a lullaby, which is Aww. not. Yeah, you don't want to fall asleep on this book. You want to be cognizant and aware of everything she says. So another book, and I, I know you read it, Lindsay, is called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Why don't you tell us your thoughts on that book? We're going to mention what? all these in the notes. Yeah, I'm just getting started on that. I'm two chapters in, um, yeah. and that is also definitely an excellent book. Um, and that really focuses on, at least in the in the very early chapters, racist policies versus anti-racist policies. And anti-racist policies obviously create equality versus racist policies, which create inequality. So that looks at a, a, a good dichotomy between, um, you know, what the system is um, in, in uh, especially in the U.S. in particular, which is what this author is looking at. Um, and that is, it's a black author. I don't have his name off the top of my head, which is terrible because I also follow him on Instagram. Um, the book is hard to get at the moment in a, in a hard copy. So uh, yeah, Ibram, Oh, you just had it there. Ibram Kendi. Um, yeah. Right here. So, Ibram. Oh, uh, yeah. Ibram Kendi. Uh, so um, if you are looking to get that book right now, you definitely want to get the um, ebook copy because uh, it's pretty much sold out everywhere. Um, and I'm also going to be participating in a book club on that, which I'm really excited about. Um, but uh, there are some 
great um, independent bookstores run by um, people of color. Um, and uh, so definitely look to, if you can buy from them, that's also a great place. So um, that's just an aside. But yeah, so I'm really excited to be diving deeper into that book in particular and, um, and looking at the difference between racist and anti-racist policies. So he's, he's a very smart guy. I had a conversation the other day with a friend of mine who's a woman of color and um, I said something that shocked her and she was like, wow, you get it. And I felt almost, I, I don't know. So I felt like because I'm a white woman and I know my privilege and I have a huge voice and a following, I should speak up with that that thing that I said. And what I said was, you know, companies are putting out statements and cutting a check to Black Lives Matter. But then that's the end of it. It's a permission slip. They wash their hands of it and they think they're good to go. But nothing systemic changes. They don't change um, the three P's, what I call policy, procedure, and pay. Mm -hmm. So she was like, wow, no one said that. You know, that the, she feels like a lot of people she talks to are like, oh, did you read our statement? You know, did you see we cut a check? And to me, that's, you know, I'd rather you spend, this is not a pitch for the work that I do, but the work that I do <laughs> and the work that a lot of my friends do, um, I'd rather you spend $200,000 to create and, you know, initiate and nurture meaningful change that, that actually shifts leadership on down and from the bottom up, inside out and outside in, shifts culture and, you know, like I said, the three Ps then to cut a check for 500,000 and send it somewhere and think you're done because you're not, you well, know, it is, it's this perception, like, well, it's other people's problem. Exactly. And we don't need to fix it, but we, but we'll support the cause and it doesn't get us anywhere. I was speaking to a managing partner of a firm the other day and they asked like, about what other firms are doing in response to this. And and I said, as far as I know, all I've seen is lip service, right? It, it's, yeah. You've seen these announcements and these things putting out. I said, one of the biggest challenges I think law firms have, and I imagine this is true of most organizations, and Susan, you can speak to that, is they, in their hiring process, I can't tell you how many times I hear, well, they didn't culturally fit. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, my God. And I'm like, that is such a problem, right, in thinking about – what fits your culture means what looks like us. Right. It's yeah, also, B, it's BS is what it, it is. It yes. is. <laughs> Y'all know a woman that I know that I had to tell that to her face when she said, oh, she just doesn't fit in here. I said, what do you mean by that? She certainly has all the qualifications. She's extremely bright. I can see that she's not just one to do her job, but to also bring new ideas and improvements to the process to the table. Um, right. And this person that we all know said, no, she just doesn't fit in here. And I said, I want you to explain in, in English what that means. Yep. And boy, what an uncomfortable moment that was, one of many. But um, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, you know, and finally I was like, you know what? I don't fit in here. And I'm proud to say that. So, um, you know, it was horrendous to hear that. That's basically an ism right there. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't look like we do. You didn't go to the same school we went to. You don't dress like we do. You don't have the, you know, whatever. That really, I wanna, Marcy, you knew that would get me going. <laughs> <laughs> I want to recommend, um, I read a great uh, post on LinkedIn this morning by Michael Costin, who has his own consultancy. 
and he gave some very specific actionable points that law firms can take that will help to take action, not just pay lip service. So I shared it on my own LinkedIn and I'll um, put it in the resources, but it's very, very specific things that firms can do that will help to move the needle and not just pay lip service. Um, I, I can't recommend it enough. Michael's a extremely smart guy. I worked with him a few years ago on the uh, Legal Marketing Association's Your Honor Awards and uh, I respect him tremendously. So he had some really great ideas. Awesome. Well, I wonder, will they apply to um, corporations? Because I've been doing a lot more work with companies than law firms. And I think that's where companies can drive their outside counsel to wake up, you know? Yeah. And I think they would. You know, I think, you know, he talks about looking at your supply chains and, yeah. and making sure that, you know, your suppliers aren't all white. And I think that's true. You know, I know that's something that I was talking about the other day in my own blog post about things that I, I need to look at in my own company. You know, this isn't something I just want to pay lip service to either. I need to look at, you know, who are the events planners we're working with? Who are the speakers that we bring in for our conferences? Um, you know, those types of things are, are very important to me too. Um, I know that our board is exceptionally white at the moment. We do have, um, you know, 25% Latin Americans, which is great. That's very important to me. But um, just the way that it's fallen at the moment, we unfortunately have nobody in Asia. That is something that we on purpose are going to change, but also we have nobody black on our board. So that I said that to our board yesterday, you know, we need to change that. Um, and our, the way that our membership shows up, I've said that to our members for a couple of years and I decided last year that I was going to stop asking them to bring more people of color and instead just start recruiting minority owned law firms. I haven't had any success with that yet, Andy, but I want um, to help you there. I love that. Yeah. Do you know, um, Joel Stern? I don't. I'll introduce you. He's remarkable. He was a former GC, now the head of or CEO of NAMWOLF, which is the National yes. Association of Minority and Women-Owned Law Firms. I know of NAMWOLF. That's where I've been looking at, at firms from. Well, let me introduce <laughs> you to Joel directly. He's the you of that group. So awesome. Um, he's a good friend of mine. I would love to have you two do some great things for the members of that organization. I would love that. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Sorry to take us so far off topic. <laughs> no, not really. Not really. Actually, um, the next you know thing we're going to think about is how do we deal with cognitive dissonance, and that's you know sort of what you were talking about with the um, guidance in the book. I, for one, have never been a racist and thought that 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 was enough. I didn't think consciously that's enough. I just thought, you know, I can't stand racists. I'm not a racist, you know, and that it, it was only till I realized, in fact, maybe the book you're reading had something to do with it because I've seen him on YouTube and such, but you mm -hmm. can't just not be a bad guy. You have to proactively be against the bad guys and for change. Do you see what I'm saying? So yes. Um, yes. you have to proactively be an anti-racist. So I've, personally pissed off a lot of my friends from Louisiana and defriended a lot of folks um, <laughs> because, you know, I try, you know, me, I try to teach, I try to change, I try, you know, change minds. And, but then if it doesn't work, I mean, I'm like, there we go with the medicine to the dead man. You know, my husband <laughs> says, you use that phrase a lot because you do that a lot. And I was like, <laughs> wow, I need to start to be more, um, let it go sooner before it gets me angry and hurt and sad. And then 
you know, just, just say, okay, bye-bye. And then hit the block button. Right. So um, let's talk about how we deal with cognitive dissonance. It does pose a challenge, you know? um, So Marcy, how can we resolve the uncomfortable feeling that arises when our own thoughts and actions clash with each other? Um, Some responses might be more constructive than others. I don't know. (laughs) It's, it, well, it, it's because it's so challenging. I think the hardest part is actually finding the, is identifying it to begin with, Mm -hmm. right? Because the very nature of cognitive dissonance is that we don't see it necessarily in ourselves. So some of it requires, you know, somebody else pointing it out to you or, you know, having a, therapist <laughs> pointed out yeah. to you. Yes. Um, and it's interesting, this, Susan, that's a great example, this idea that if a woman sees that her favorite politician has done something immoral, you just, you know, what do you do? Do you say, oh, it's generational. It's, you know, that was what things were like when he was coming up. So we're going to forgive him for that. Or do you really truly take that to heart and, and make different decisions based on it? It's, it's challenging. I mean, mm-hmm. I think of it in my own life. I don't know. I've been trying to, Susan, since you came up with this topic, I've been saying, okay, I'm trying to identify areas in my own life where there's cognitive dissonance and it's hard. It's hard to figure out in your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, I mean, I have chosen at this point in my life to believe the best in pe- of people. And what that makes me blind to <laughs> is bad people in some ways. And so I don't know if that's cognitive dissonance or not, this idea that I seem to, you know, attract or <laughs> or cling to or find narcissists or emotionally unavailable people. And I don't know if it's <laughs> this, you know, constantly seeking out and wanting to believe the best in people and then learning that, you know, not, not everybody falls into that category. I still prefer that, that way to think about it, but yeah. Not I will say, here's, a, here's a great example, and I know you two um, may not be comfortable with my always bringing politics into it, but this is a perfect example. I saw on Facebook these two old white men that had t-shirts on, and they were two of many. They just happened to be the two in the picture, and their t-shirt said, I'd rather be a Russian than a Democrat, and they were big Trumpers, and so when you think about cognitive dissonance it might be a person of color who votes for trump or a woman who saw the grab them by the you know what video and still is supportive of trump so Mm -hmm. these are um now some of them are just total morons and just idiots with no moral compass no any compass no intellect no nothing but i'm talking about the ones that are educated and just still you know they know history they know the laws they know the u.s constitution Yet maybe they think his tax plan will save them money, which it's shown not to. But, you know, no, what a big joke that was. I think I'm getting a little too political now, but I'll just say. Well, I, I have a good one from the other side, though. If we, if yeah, we tell me. Sides, yeah, is, the, is the accusations against Joe Biden of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And so I think for a lot of us that are on, on the left, that's a good example of cognitive dissonance because you feel like, okay, you know, if I really am a zero tolerance policy against crimes against women, and if I say I believe women, then when the woman came out and accused Joe Biden of assaulting her, 
then you have to support her. And I felt like, um, you know, some women came out and said, I believe her but I still am going to support Joe Biden for the presidency. And here's why. And that's, that was sort of my feeling too. And it was, it was more like, here's the lesser of two evils, which I think a lot of us would agree with. But at the same time, you know, it really shows for me, at least the, the ills of what our, our two party system has come down to. And again, that is where I was going to go. Yeah. We don't have much choice. Lindsay no, for president. It, <laughs> oh God, no. But for me, like that, that's a, that's a real, you know, for me, that's cognitive dissonance because it makes me feel so uncomfortable because he's not, for me, the best choice, but he's the, he's a better choice. Than well, he's the, the other. only choice, frankly. Right. 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 Now. Exactly. But I will say exactly. that early on, I had declared publicly that I was not supporting him. And the candidates from which we, I mean, there were 16, I think it was in the beginning. It was yeah. crazy. We need to get our shit together. Right. right so right. 16 candidates. And now we're left with two who are out of touch with current state of affairs and right. the needs of millennials and the communication styles of most business people, you know, what's right. acceptable, what's not, um, you know, Folks don't work just for the money anymore like it used to be in their day. You know, now right. they're both, they ought to be retired. But um, seriously, they, they, folks work for meaningful value, happiness, you know, and they'll make some money just to pay the bills. But they're not going to sacrifice their health or their well-being like my dad's generation did to make money. Do you see what I'm right. saying? Mm-hmm. So they're really out of touch. I'm so sad I had left the Democratic Party because I was just fed up with the buffoonery. And I did not go to the Republican Party because I knew of the buffoonery (laughs) there. (laughs) Um, But I became an independent. And then I felt like, you know, in this country, there's no voice for independence. No one represents the majority of us, which are moderates, right? We don't fall into this two-party system, which I think is just silly. I love that. Um, I don't know. I, I know I took us down this political rabbit hole, but I'm just going to say one more thing. I love that um, software platform called isidewith.com because yes. you don't know the candidate. You only study the issue, feel how it impacts you personally, choose or vote on the quiz, if you will, the way that it impacts you personally in, a, in your favor. And then at the end of it, it tallies your scores and then it shows you where you align and to what degree with mm-hmm. which candidates. If we right. in this country could vote that way, wouldn't that be beautiful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, how do we avoid cognitive dissonance? I don't think we can. Um, I think, you know, to your earlier point about, um, you know, how we deal with it, I think. Um, it, it does depend on the issue a little bit. So when it comes to changing your own beliefs, I think sometimes you have to sit with being uncomfortable Yeah. and it depends on what it is. You know, maybe sometimes as Marcy pointed out, it's a therapist that, that identifies it for you. Um, sometimes it's really just when you feel uncomfortable about something, it's, it's questioning why that is and where that comes from. Um, but I, I don't think it's avoidable because there's always going to be something when you have a strongly held belief about something that that comes up and and challenges that belief and you either have to say no this is really how i feel and i feel strongly about it um and i i'm choosing this belief for whatever reason 
or you have to say, you know, I mean, I've certainly changed my mind on things. Um, I will freely admit that I used to say all lives matter until I did some research and understood why that was a faulty thing to say and why it was a harmful thing to say. And now I understand why I shouldn't have ever said that. Um, You're so okay courageous, Lindsay. I love that you said that. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, well, I want, I want people to know it's okay to change your mind. Um, yeah. and when you feel uncomfortable to do some research and to learn that, you know, you may not always be right. I hate to admit that I'm not always right, but I'm not always right. <laughs> um, the difference in what you're talking about is the difference between critical thinking and group think. So I love that you engage in critical thinking and your mind is open enough to change itself. Right. One thing I want to say about the All Lives Matter comment is a woman of color who's a very good friend of mine. She's at our wedding. I mean, she used to work with my husband. She saw someone from Louisiana attack me when I said Black Lives Matter and I was explaining something. And he said, All Lives Matter. And I posted why that's not okay to say, think, feel, or do um, the Mm -hmm. All Lives Matter. And he said, I'm not even reading any of that BS. May God bless you. You know, it's basically. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) When you're from Louisiana and they say, bless your heart. I saw it as well. Yeah. 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 So she wrote to me to say a great way to explain it. And so that, that you don't like with me, sometimes I'm a fire hose in the face and that's not how to take a sip. So I I wanted him to take a sip. And I think that, um, you know, the fire hose in the face doesn't work. So um, it is my job. It is your job. It is Marcy's job to change the world, right? It's everyone's yes. job to change the world for the better. So she said to me, think of it like this. There's a house in your neighborhood. It's on fire. You call 911. The fire uh, firefighters come out. They do not turn the hose on every house in the neighborhood. They turn the hoses on the one house on fire. Right. That's the way to look at Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. I've also heard one that says, if your spouse comes to you and is in pain and says, I love you, you don't say, I love everyone. You say, I love wow. you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's there are, powerful. There are, so, there are so many of them. It's, it's interesting because one of the things I think this whole um, situation has sparked is a conversation which we weren't having before, right? There was never yes. any explanation for why- right. Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. And now, you know, I've seen memes coming out everywhere. Like it's, you know, you don't say, when I say save the rainforest, you don't say save all forests. We save the rainforest because those are the ones in danger. And so- Another great one. Yes, it's it's simplifying it and getting to this place where where people can relate to it. That wasn't happening before. Yes, it's true. That's true. it's nice to see that conversation. Of course, now I'm, so we're having a march tonight in my community that has been organized over the past week by some amazing women that are my neighbors and I have volunteered for it and I've been helping to get the word out. And I am on this group of women who are the organizers and apparently there's been some chatter that people don't like the word march. They'd prefer it was walk. Oh God. And exactly. I'm like, this is why I don't organize things because I would go nuts if somebody said that in my presence. Wow. <laughs> like, this is why I'm not organizing this. It's a unity march. It's, you know, we can, I was, I was just like, wow. Okay. We're going to sachet. Is it chasse or sachet? <laughs> You're the ballerina. Which right. is it? <laughs> We're going to sachet through the neighborhood. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Come on, people. I'm sorry. 
Um, <laughs> look, Marcy, look, y'all know me. I, I've been so nice for so long and realized again, it's not enough just to be nice that you've got to get real and sometimes get angry and sometimes be the anti-racist and sometimes yeah. say, you know, F off like I do every show, I think. <laughs> I say that. Um, well, is cognitive dissonance a bad thing? No. I think no, because anytime you feel uncomfortable, it's, it's a signal to you. Um, and I think, you know, you have a note here that says it, it's, it may present an opportunity for growth. And I think, you know, if you ignore it and you may just use it to double down on your own, um, either your own prejudices or your own, um, your own beliefs. And sometimes your beliefs may be right. That's fine. And, you know, this isn't really about right or wrong, but, um, you know, I think anytime you feel uncomfortable about something, you have to ask yourself, where does that feeling come from? Yeah. And is it correct? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I really do think it's an opportunity for growth. Yeah. Nice. Um, I think that's so true. And to get off the non-political, I finally came up, I finally came up with a good example, but the example of <laughs> a, a person who's in a marriage who considers themselves happy and loyal and then is having an affair, right? There's that, that, Oh, discomfort yeah. that comes that with guy. that, right? <laughs> or woman. I think, yes, yeah, I was just going to say, or a gal, but in my case, it was guy. <laughs> so, um, and, 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 you know, a lot of women know that guy. <laughs> so not my current husband, folks, just so you know, to set the record straight. <laughs> Good guy. We're not saying anything about Mike. Yeah, we're not an open couple so just know yeah. that. <laughs> no, the only swing in this marriage is is an a-frame in the backyard so um <laughs> so let's close out by just saying that um in the classic study on cognitive cognitive dissonance by social psychologist leon festinger subjects were split into two groups that had to perform monotonous tasks for a long stretch of time placing 12 spoons onto a tray, emptying the tray, and then refilling the tray. Wow, very myth of Sisyphus going on here. Um, <laughs> or turning square pegs a quarter turn again and again and again. Ooh. The subjects were offered $1 or $20 to brief the other group about the experiment and were instructed to describe the experiment as enjoyable, exciting, fun, interesting, and intriguing. We all know that's not true. The, the briefers who received a dollar were more likely to report the tasks were interesting and enjoyable, and they learned a great deal that the results had scientific value and they would participate in a similar experiment going forward. By contrast, however, those who were paid $20 could not convince themselves to the same degree. The results huh. elegantly illustrated the discomfort of having two conflicting beliefs. If you do or say something publicly that is contrary to what you feel privately, you'll change your opinion to bring it in line. You don't want to feel like a sucker, and so you have to persuade yourself to be satisfied, to affirm your worth, and to hold it all together. I think we do that every day on various levels with different subjects and topics. And buyer's remorse is just the best known example of cognitive dissonance because everyone has experienced that. We see the shiny, we have to have it, we want to have it, we get it, and then later we're like, meh, 
why did I do that? Um, so thank you for discussing this with me today. It brought about some really great conversation about where we are in race issues and looking inside our own selves for our own upbringing and our own beliefs. So I love having you two on the call. You bring great perspectives. Um, folks, we're from different areas of the country. So it's really nice to hear from these ladies all across the country each week. So tune in every Friday. We will post this every Friday on our Facebook page as well as um, in our personal Facebook pages. And you can always go to our website and look under Keep Calm and Cope CoronaCast. Any comments, ladies, before we say goodbye? Nope. No. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Marcy. Have fun sashaying tonight. And then, Lindsay, <laughs> thank you for all your great book recommendations. And be sure to update the resources when we're done. Definitely. Thank you, Susan.